You want to go first? You want me to introduce us? Sure. You introduce yourself. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Kathy Sullivan, and this is my husband, Chris Sullivan. Um, When I first started coming to the church, it was in the very end of 2008, and it was after my daughter, Taylor, had passed away, very tragically and unexpected. You know, for me, first 30 years of my life went great. I started... I made a decision and I started abusing drugs and alcohol around 2002, a little bit before, and and it got bad quick. I let it run my life. I got to the point where I was spending $26,000 a month on drugs. People always look at me and say, you know, how could you have lost your daughter and then had similar circumstances afterwards? So, you know, Chris and I tried to have a baby the last year and a half. We had a miscarriage in February last year, and everybody was like, oh, you know, this is gonna be it, this is supposed to happen this way. And I was only seven weeks along and we lost that baby. And so many people were like, how could God do that to you? I sat on my couch, I was crying, I was shaking, and I prayed and I just said, please help me. Everybody looks with me losing Taylor, as you know, as I said, how could God have done that? And I explained to him, he didn't do that. He has an ultimate (coughs) plan for us from the day we're born and whatever your path comes to be, you have to follow through with it and just always have that strong faith. You know, Job went through all that and he kept his faith. And like, when I read it, I thought of Kathy and Taylor because it's like, why would he do that? And you can see, like she speaks at schools and she helps people and Taylor's helping people and she gets emails from kids and it's amazing. Everything I went through is so worth it. I mean, I wouldn't change, and I wouldn't change one thing. My oldest is 24, and Logan's 14, and Logan is living the life that my older children should have been able to live, you know, with that mother, with that faith, and that strong relationship. And he's blessed to have been able to live this life, and it comes at the cost of his sister, you know? So you just have to know that there is a purpose and there's an ultimate plan, and we do know that. Job chapter 34, uh, 32, sorry, 32. Job chapter 32, and we're going to get a look at a guy named Elihu. Elihu, that is an interesting name. It's like his parents wanted to name him Eli, Eli, and then forgot who he was. (laughs) Elihu? Elihu suddenly comes on the scene in chapter 32, and he's been there the whole time. And we, we read the book of Job. If you're not careful, you can read through the book of Job, not realize that he's a new voice. Like Job and his three friends have been arguing for 30 chapters. The entire action of the book of Job happens in chapters one and two. The action's over, basically, at that point. Then for, through chapter three through 31, uh, Job and uh, we talked about Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, his three friends, they argue for 30 chapters. That's a long argument. And suddenly, this young, audacious punk, <laughs> for lack of a better term, comes on the scene and starts talking. So we're going to look at him, and we're going to find out what he has to say. And then we're going to discuss, before we get into what he has to say, we're going to discuss, should we even listen to this guy? And I believe that there's reasons that we should. So Job chapter 32, let's stand together as we read from this passage of Scripture. Verse 1. So these three men, Job's friends, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. 
Then Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they found no answer, although Job had declared to be in, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. You think he's angry? <laughs> and Elihu, the son of Barakah the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak, and let many years teach you wisdom. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention. And behold, there was none among you to refute Job or answer his words. Skip down to verse 17 in the same chapter. I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent like new wineskins ready to burst, I must speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person, for I don't even know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. But now hear my speech, O Job, this is 33 now, and listen to my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart and what my lips know they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I, too, was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. And on and on and on and on he goes for six chapters. Who is Elihu, and should we listen to him? That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for the amazing privilege to come into this place and to sing your praise and to worship Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will have absolute control, authority, and sovereignty in this room. May our hearts be tender to your word. May our hearts be filled with the soil that is good to receive what is true, to be able to discern in our lives every day between the truth and the falsehoods. And Lord, that we will understand and know you, for in knowing you, we will love you and grow in you. And we ask this for our church and for every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. We want to say welcome to our Taunton campus. They watch my video every week. Everybody in North Attleboro, give them a big hand and welcome Taunton in. Good to see you. Who is Elihu? Well, Elihu comes on the scene and he speaks for a long time. In fact, we didn't even get through his entire introduction just now. I mean, he spent a chapter and a half telling us why, telling Job, why you need to listen to me. And he was a young man. And the commentators, as I studied Elihu, they're divided on this guy. 
They don't know if we should listen to him or if we shouldn't. I read some commentators who said he's a loudmouth. He's a brash, young, arrogant punk. Needs to be dismissed. And then I read other commentators who said, no, 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 no. He actually speaks the truth. And, and, and Job and everybody would be very wise to listen to him. So what do we do? I don't have an answer to you from anybody else today. I have an answer from what I believe the Holy Spirit led me to tell you. I believe we should listen to Elihu. And I want to give you some reasons why. Um, when you go through a crisis, when you experience pain, how many know this is the truth? There is no shortage of people who are willing to offer you their advice. Like, when I went through that, this is what I did. And, and you're just like, I don't care. You know, you, you don't have the whole picture. Or, or, and, and then you'll have those conversations with, with well-intentioned friends like Job's worthless comforters. They're those three friends. And you'll get nowhere. And you just cycle around, cycle around, cycle around. That's what Job and those three friends did for 30 chapters. Have you ever been in a conversation or in a debate or in a relationship that is just the same conversation and neither of us are budging? It's like every Thanksgiving we have this conversation. Let's just settle it. I don't like you. You don't like me. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and, and so sometimes, you know, you just need somebody to just come on the scene who is not your friend, who has not been there and has something to say. And so I think that we should listen to Elihu for two reasons that are not in the text. We'll get to the text in a moment. Number one, uh, Job doesn't argue with Elihu. Job argues with his three friends. He keeps telling them, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And they keep telling Job, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And, and, jo and when Elihu speaks for six chapters, Job says nothing. In fact, Job says very little from the rest of this point on in the book. The second reason why I think we should listen to Elihu is that God does not rebuke Elihu. When God shows up, and by the way, we're going to talk about that next week, so be here, okay? When God shows up at the end of Job, he says, hey, you three friends of Job, you did not speak what is right. We talked about this two weeks ago. You said bad stuff about me. That's what God says to them. But he says nothing about Elihu. And the second half of that point is, is that as soon as Elihu is done speaking, God shows up. It's as if um, God uses Elihu to grease the skids for God to show up and say the truth. And sometimes we need someone like that who will, who will prepare our minds and our hearts to receive the truth of God. Because, you know, you come to church, right? You come in, you're all programmed up from your week's worth of work, television, media, culture, Twitter, Facebook. You're all cultured up. You're all filled up with all this garbage. You say, oh, how dare you? I am too. I live amongst them. I live with you. I know what it's like. And it's just like you're just filled with all this nonsense, nonsense. And you come into church and it's like, ah, oh, I need that. Hopefully you say that. <laughs> and so... I think we should listen to Elihu. If Job doesn't argue with him and God doesn't argue with him, and those two are pretty important characters in the story, then maybe Elihu is someone we should pay attention to. There are five reasons, though, from the text that I want to share with you why we should listen to Elihu. Number one, Elihu is a fresh voice, if you're taking notes. Like I said, sometimes you just need somebody that's impartial. 
Like sometimes you need somebody who is not your mother <laughs> to tell you what you need to hear because your mother is lying to you. She is biased and you are always right in her opinion. If you're bringing mom and dad into your marriage, shame on you because they always think you're right. Of course, they're your parents. They would die for you. Well, my mother says that you need to change. <laughs> of course she says that, she's your mother. Cheryl and I don't have that problem. <laughs> we, have, we have parents who actually take the side of the other person. Like her parents are all about defending me and my parents are all about defending her. It's, it's really wonderful that way. They're wonderfully godly parents. We thank God for them. But you know, you need impartiality sometimes. Somebody who's not tied to your horse, not tied to your wagon, who has no vested interest in you getting somewhere that they can get there through you. That, that there is no, there is no uh, covert operation in their heads. And he's fresh. And, and by the way, he's young. He's young. He says, I'm young in years. You are aged. You are aged. That's a nice way of saying you old. <laughs> All right. And he says, I was timid and I was afraid to declare my opinion. But now I see you don't have one. He says, this wisdom's not with the wise sometimes. And that's true. You understand that? Wisdom's not always with the wise. Like some of the people that you know. They're like, they should be smarter than they really are. Because they've been going through the same garbage for the last 15 years and they refuse to change. And they don't learn their lesson. Some of you, by the way, wisdom doesn't necessarily come from education. Like Harvard does not make you wise. They make you smart. Make you book smart, make you engineering smart, make you law smart. Won't make you life smart. Some of the people that I know that are the stupidest people in the world have all these initials after their name. M-A-M-D, P-H-D. And it sounds like they are smoking LSD. And it's just like, did you go to college, really? What do they teach you there? Wisdom isn't always where you think you're going to find it. Elihu says it's with God's spirit. It's the spirit of God's in me. The, the spirit of God, which raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the New Testament says, it dwells in you. It will quicken you. It will speak to you. It will lead you. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit whom I send, not Harvard, not, not Yale, the one that I send, he's going to lead you into all truth. You want to be wise? Fear God. Ask for his Holy Spirit. He'll make you wiser than you could possibly imagine. He says, I'm young. Now, look, let me say something here. God uses young people. God uses young people. The church for too long has been all about disregarding the next generation. Let's shove them in our little Sunday school and then let's hope that they hold on to the faith when they go to college. And they don't. The church must be all about capturing, recruiting, training, loving, empowering, equipping, releasing, delegating authority to the next generation. It's... It's good stewardship of our resources because guess what? In 60 years, the next generation are the only ones that are going to be here. And I want them talking good about us, by the way. 
I am all about young leaders. I love the young leaders that are coming up the ranks right here at Water Church North Attleboro. They are awesome. They love Jesus and they love the church. They make many of the decisions that you see happen here. So don't blame me if you don't like them. No, they're great. They help, they, they help me stay cool. Some of you are like, it's not working. Get somebody else. All right, okay. But they're, they're all, like everybody except one person is younger than me that's on staff here. And I love that because they have new ideas, fresh insight into how the church, and it's, it's wonderful to see. And, and some of the things that people say about our church, they can't believe how many young people are engaged in ministry here at Waters Church. That is a badge of honor. You know, Jesus chose young people, his disciples, most Theologians absolutely agree with this. Most of his disciples were between the ages of 15 and 17. 15 and 17. Like you're like, no, that's not right. That's not right. And the reason why is because you've been to the church pageants where they have like 45-year-old dads playing Peter. He's got hairy legs and everything. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I'll never deny you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's not who they were. The, 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 there's a part where, where Jesus asked, uh, Peter asked about the temple tax, and only Peter is required to pay the temple tax. That means that all the other disciples were under the age of 20. Because at, at the age of 20, that's when you pay the temple tax. And by the way, this, is God's, this has been God's way from the beginning. Joseph was 17 when he starts having his dreams. 30 by the time he's running Egypt. David takes on Goliath when he was 17, 17. Could you imagine sending your acne skin punk 17-year-old kid to fight Goliath? God says that's perfect. He's just dumb enough to know he might not be able to win this thing. God uses young people. I love the young people. Now look, I'm not saying that we're just all about young people. What we need to do is have a healthy marriage of the aged, <laughs> for lack of a better term, and the young, and be a generational church where, by the way, young people, listen to me, here's how you be a young person in the church. You respect the aged. You say, you've been there, you've, you've, you've come from years. Okay, I respect that, yes. Let's partner together. And then, and then the aged, let's, let's bring you in. Let's make you leaders. Let's empower you and release you because that's what Jesus did. And if we want a church that's going to survive this, this breakneck pace of cultural change that we watch on the television, we need to be about the young people because God loves them and God uses them. Amen, somebody? Amen. All right, number two. He is a fresh voice. He is a young voice. Number two, he is, uh, listens. He listens for a long time. You ever have somebody just like uh, give you their opinion before listen to, listening to you? That was Job's three first friends. And, and they just don't listen. They just jump on his words. He says, stop reproving my words. These are, these, I, I said this a couple weeks ago. They're just wind. I'm just venting. Just stop worrying about what's coming out of my mouth. Elihu doesn't jump on Job's words. He listens for a long time. 30 chapters. He says, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings. Number three, Elihu speaks with humility plus boldness. 
And, and, and too often, we are guilty of not having a healthy balance of humility and boldness in the church. Some of you, 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 you misinterpret humility to be, I'm supposed to be a nobody. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And so humility is to say, I am, I am human, I am just like you, and here is what I have to say, and to be able to say it boldly, boldly. Why? Because I know the truth. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I've read his word. We'll say, well, I haven't read his word. Well, start reading it. Start reading it like some of you would just do yourself a world of good if you just started to commit to memory um, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Just memorize it. Just, just start getting into what Jesus said and taught and did and start absorbing the truth so that it will go well with you. And so that we have this, this sense of humility and boldness. That, that's, that's how Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God. You don't get much more humble than a lamb. He's the lamb of God that took on the sins of the world. But he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's humble and bold. You know, we have this misconception of Jesus in our churches. That, that Jesus was like, you've seen the pictures, the artist's renderings. You know, you've seen them, right? Or of who Jesus is. That's not what he looked like. Jesus was not a surfer from Sweden. You know, he didn't walk around like, I mean, that's not Jesus. Jesus, yes, he, he placed his hands on children, lovingly cared for the woman caught in adultery, cared for the down and out, and the sick, and the lame, and the blind. Yes, prostitutes loved him. Sinners loved him. They were drawn on a shrine because he was humble, but he was bold when he needed to be bold. Go and sin no more. Cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Walked into the temple. The Bible says he saw the money changers in the temple. And the Bible says in John chapter 2 that he made a whip. <laughs> he, made, he made a whip. Does that, where was that on the flannel graph in Sunday school when we were growing up? I want to know. I never saw that. I saw him hugging lambs and touching children, but I never saw Jesus making a whip in Sunday school. Here he is. And what is he doing? He's going to whip some people because he's bold as a lion and humble as a lamb. And there's a, there's a calling for that in our culture, by the way, to, to be confident in who you are in Christ, to have the sense of, yes, I have something to say. Some of you, you're just like, oh, I could never, I could never. Oh, no, 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 no. I know I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to. Yes, you are. You're a Christian for a reason. You're sent into that dark office for a reason, to be the light. And you've got nothing to be ashamed of. You've got the truth, and the Bible says that the truth sets people free. Somebody is dying for the truth that you could give them. And if you just balance this humility and boldness into one, and you become like Jesus, what a difference you can make. Number four, Elihu wants to, see Jesus, wants to see Job justified. This is another reason why we should listen to Elihu. He says, I, um, if you have anything to say, go ahead and speak, because I am anxious to see you justified. 
the first three friends were all about Job getting his stuff back. Job, if you just confess and repent, God will bless you again. Job, if you just commit your way to God, if you just come clean, tell us, your, tell us the dirty story. Come on, give it to us. And then if you do that, God will bless you again. And Elihu's like, I don't care about your stuff. I don't care about how rich you were. I want to see you justified. That's a spiritual status, not a material status. Like there are people that, that, again, they give you their opinion because they just want you to get ahead. If there's a problem that I have with uh, non-Christian counselors, therapists, uh, psychologists, some of you see them, and they're not Christian, um, the, the problem that I have with it is that it's all about you being happy. Whatever is going to make you happy. Does that fulfill you? Then do it. Do you want to be divorced? Divorce will make you happy? Well, do it. You want to shoot your boss? That'll make you happy? Then do it. <laughs> I exaggerate, but you know what I mean. That is all about happy, 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 man. It's not about you being happy. I got news for you. I don't care if you're happy. I don't care if you are happy with what I say. What does it make? What difference does it make if you are driving a Lexus and living in a five-bedroom, three-bath house on the hill with a white picket fence and perfect kids if you go to hell? It doesn't matter. You need somebody who will say, I don't care if this gets you ahead or if this robs you blind. I'm telling you the truth because the truth is what's going to establish you. The truth is going to found you. The truth is what's going to get you to heaven. So some of you are like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me. Jesus, help me, help me, help me. I am struggling financially. Help me, help me, help me. And Jesus is like, I'm, I don't care about your money. I'm not Santa Claus. Right? He said it like this. He said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? I got to tell you, some of you, man, you're just like swinging at the wrong pitches in life because you're trying to hit the home run for all that this world can promise you. How's your soul? Who cares? Who cares? In, in 50 years, who cares? Okay? My job, like Elihu's, is to see you justified spiritual transformation, not material possession. Okay? So if I, if, I, um, if I offend you, so what? It's okay. All right? And, and, and I get this. I get this from people all the time. Oh, pastor, could I meet with you? Could I meet with you? Because they think that I'm going to say something different when we're one-on-one. -on -one. It doesn't work. And I stopped meeting with people a long time ago. You know why? Because everybody I met with, I said what I said on Sunday morning, I said to them, and they left the church. Oh, he's just as brash and arrogant as he is up there. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to tell you the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts. Our little baby, a little 10-year-old, 11-month-year-old baby, he's got a little virus right now. My, my wife administers that, that medicine, and he doesn't like it. He does this thing. Now he goes. So they give you the, the syringe. We didn't have this with the first two. They give you the syringe. You can just stick it. 
in his mouth and just, <laughs> and he hates it. Do you think they were saying this? Oh, he doesn't like it. Oh, maybe we shouldn't do it. No, it's good for you. The truth hurts and then it heals. Amen. He says, uh, number five, number five. He is more concerned with God's opinion than with man's opinion. You need somebody like that. Somebody who doesn't care what you think. I don't know if it's me or somebody else, but you need somebody like that. I need somebody like that. He says this in, in, in Job 36, verse 2. I will show you the truth, for I have not finished defending God. I love that. I will present profound arguments for the righteousness of my creator. I am telling you nothing but the truth, for I am a man of great knowledge. Again, a little bit arrogant, but necessary sometimes. You know, you, you, you don't need Elihu in large doses, but you do need him. So should we use Elihu? Yeah. Should, should we listen to Elihu? Yeah. Because he is all about the righteousness and the honor and the, and the, and the um, defense of God. Can, is there anybody in your life who can tell you the truth? Because if there isn't, you need new friends. You need somebody who will say, you're just being a jerk. Well, I don't like that. I know, but I love you enough to tell you this. Parents, practice on your kids when they're young. Like, you know what I mean? When, when they can't hate you, you got to practice this. Because I said so. We're, that line has like disappeared from the cultural conversation. Parents no longer say, it's the greatest line ever invented in the history of parenthood. Why do I have to clean my room? Because I said so. But why? I'll refer to point one, because I said so. <laughs> so. So that when they want to go drinking with their stupid friends, you say, no, why? Because I said so. Still works 10 years later. <laughs> My goodness, I, I don't understand parents today who bow to the whims of their children. Some of you have not yet had children. Write this stuff down. When they're three, because I said so. When they're 10, because I said so. When they're 20, because I said so. If they're still living at home. And you need somebody who will tell you the truth, who is more concerned with God's opinion. Now, I said this before, that there are commentators who love Elihu, and there are commentators who hate Elihu. But it doesn't make him, it doesn't make him wrong because they said the same stuff about Jesus. Some people loved Jesus and some people hated Jesus. By the way, that's still the case today. It's like everybody's cool with God. God, God. But when Jesus comes out of your mouth, it's like, whoa, hey, don't go getting fundamental on me. Isn't that true? I mean, come on. Let me, let me make one very clear point. This church is about Jesus. We love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I, I don't care if you think you believe in God. I don't care. The Bible says that demons believe in God. 
They believe in God. Who cares if you believe in God? Do you trust Jesus Christ for your salvation? Because that's what gets you to heaven. That's what gives you life. That is what Jesus came to do. Not to start a religion. Not to get you to believe in God. To change the very core of your existence from the inside out and make you a child of God through his shed blood on the cross 2,000 years ago and the empty grave that he left behind. It's about Jesus, my friend. And if that offends you, so what? We need an Elihu today. We need, we need that kind of character in our lives who will speak the truth. And so Elihu, the, the, the last thing that I want to say about Elihu is that Elihu is the first person in the book of Job, the first person in the book of Job to, t- to say jo- to Job, uh, God's going to use this. The only one. Um, that Job the whole time is like, it's not fair. And then his friends are like, you need to repent. Nobody's saying, wait a second. God has a purpose to your pain. And Elihu does. So to summarize the whole six chapters in three simple points. How does God use our pain? Uh, So that's what Elihu says. Number one, he says, God speaks to us through our pain. God is always speaking. The problem is we aren't listening. And uh, Elihu is going to say basically the same thing in verse 14 of 33. He says, God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. He speaks in dreams, in visions of the night, When deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds, he whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. He protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Or God disciplines people with pain on their sick beds, with ceaseless aching in their bones. Sometimes pain is just not because you're sinning. Sometimes pain is just, hey, pay attention. Like, God is just like scratching on your soul. And he's not even using pressure. And you should be thankful because if you use pressure, you'd be dead. And he's just been doing this for the last 15 years for you. Just scratch, scratch, scratch. Just scratching. Just trying to get your attention. Your whole life, you'd be like, oh, what the heck is. Get away from me! God is just. You refuse to listen, so I will not stop scratching. (laughs) And he's speaking through our pains. How many of you? You would never have come to church if it wasn't for the pain. Like you didn't want to get divorced, but it got you to church. It got you to Jesus. It got you off your high horse. Speaks through the pain. Paul says it like this. He says, uh, we were utterly, unbearably crushed. He says, we wanted to die. He says, we felt that we had received this, we were going to die. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. God speaks through your pain. There's, There's pain in your life right now that you're just ignoring Stop ignoring it. 
It might be God saying this needs to change. Number two, God teaches us through pain. So he gets our attention. The question is now, what are you going to do once he has your attention? Are you going to come to church with your preconceived notions of everything that God should tell you to do? Because you'll be surprised at how many people do that. Okay, I'll do the church thing, God. I'll do the church thing. I'll go. But this is what I want you to say. And God's just like, yeah, okay. I'll take care of that. Here's some more suffering. Job 33, verse 9, he says, God disciplines people with pain. He does. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 71, nobody's favorite verse in the Bible. My suffering was good for me. It taught me to pay attention to your decrees. That the pain that God offers you is not, not the executioner's whip, but the surgeon's knife. And he's making a difference in your life. I mean, we say it about exercise, don't we? No pain, no gain. Well, God says that too. But he doesn't care if you get a six-pack. He wants you to have mercy, compassion, humility, generosity, love, grace, forgiveness. Those are the things he wants. So, so he, he's all about the workout. Oh, yeah. He'll sweat you up through pain. Like, I hate the dentist. But I know that if I don't go, more pain awaits than that temporary pain of the cleaning. I hate the cleaning, the scraping. I hate it. But I know that if I don't do that, I will have more pain later. So what do you want? Maybe that's, uh, by the way, that's exactly what God is doing here for Job. He said, hey, you, you need to think about other people, Job. You, you've had this hedge around you. That's what Satan said. This hedge has been built around you your whole life. You've never struggled. Do you know what makes you somebody who never struggles? Somebody who can't associate with people who struggle. Who are the most compassionate people to cancer patients? Other cancer patients. Um, some of you will never get divorced because your parents got divorced at eight, when you were four. And you know what that's like. You don't want that for your kids. Now, now others of you will never get married for that reason. And you need to stop that. <laughs> some of you will never touch alcohol ever because your father was a drunk and you know how that feels see that's the pain that god ransoms and redeems from your life so that you can be better taught not to do the same stuff and then god purposes us through our pain number three he purposes us through our pain god saves those who suffer through their suffering he gets them to listen through their pain and so I think about Kathy and Chris. Chris, a former NFL defensive lineman on the New England Patriots Super Bowl winning team of 2001, completely depressed with his life shortly afterwards and succumbed to drugs. That's how he could spend $26,000 a month on drugs. Some of you are like, how in the world? That's how. And God uses the pain 
and Kathy losing her daughter five years ago, four years ago. How, why would God do that? Oh, my. And she even tells me, she said, I came, she, she told us, she said, I came to this church before she died. And I liked it, but I would have never come back. And then she came and she's rooted and grounded here, loves this church, and her and Chris go to high schools all over Massachusetts and tell those kids, stay away from this stuff, it'll kill you. How many parents have they saved from pain because they experienced the pain? Some of you need to stop complaining about your pain. And you need to start saying, God, use it. Now, at the end of the book of Job, when Job gets all his stuff back, the Bible says something very, very curious. He gets seven new sons and three new daughters. And it says that he names his daughters. And he gives them an inheritance with their brothers. This was revolutionary in the ancient world. Women had no property rights. They got no inheritance. And Job is saying, something needs to be done about this inequity. And he never would have done that for his three daughters if he had never gone through his pain. Even today in the Middle East, they don't do this. They don't give women anything, no rights. Job was doing this 4,500 years ago in the middle of Palestine. Why? Because God brought him through that pain. Let God use it. Come to Jesus and let God use your pain. Would you stand with me?